Welcome to Six Degrees of Silvis, a podcast where we talk with artists, art collectors, advisors, museum directors, and curators to learn firsthand how the art world operates and how each participant uniquely addresses vital issues of our time. This week, John talks with collector and philanthropist Patrick Sun. Now, I have um, always supported um, gay movements, you know, in whether in Hong Kong or Taiwan. Um, several organizations that I uh, have participated uh, were like the Tongchi Hotline, which is a gay hotline in Taiwan, or the uh, um, gay parades and uh, AIDS concern and all that. So it is something, as I mentioned earlier, that I feel as a gay person is our duty to step up and do something. But I did not really merge my two passions, you know, uh, in gay rights and in art together until year 2014, you know, and it's, um, it just dawned on me that I should combine the two passions together. And that's what I did. Here's the host of the show, John Silvis. I am your host, John Silvis. I'm an art advisor and a curator based in New York. Most of my research I share with my friends and my clients to focus on global contemporary art, usually with emerging and mid-career artists. With this podcast, I hope to pull back the curtain to uh, allow us to engage with some of the conversations that happen in the art world and encourage and push the art conversation forward. Please join me in welcoming these wonderful guests. Welcome everyone. I'm pleased today to have a conversation with collector and philanthropist Patrick Sun. Uh, welcome Patrick, it's always great to talk with you. And I wanted to start by quoting the mission statement for the organization that he founded. Uh, it's called the Sun Pride Foundation, uh, which not only is a uh, important collection of LGBTQ art in Asia, but also is uh, very active in uh, addressing issues of discrimination and equality. Uh, they've hosted two shows of the exhibit of their collection, which we'll talk about more in a bit. But I wanted to uh, read this mission statement. The Sun Pride Foundation embraces the rich creative history of the LGBTQ community by exhibiting and preserving art that speaks to the society at large. It aims to foster a stronger, healthier, and more equitable world for LGBTQ people and their allies and to encourage and inspire a generation of young artists to take action and creative positive changes to the LGBTQ experience. So in, in everything that I've uh, seen and also in uh, what your team has put together, Patrick, you guys definitely embody this mission statement. I really enjoy uh, the dinners that you host during Art Basel, during your own exhibitions, and it's just beautiful to see how uh, you are able to create community and bring people from 
all walks of life, all different identities, all different nationalities um, into the same room and, and create this very active discussion. I was so impressed when I visited your show in Taipei for the opening, um, the, the wonderful response from uh, your community across Asia. It was just a really great uh, experience. It was a really good exhibition and a testament to what you do. Thank you for joining us today, Patrick. It's uh, great to talk with you. I was thinking as I was preparing for the podcast that we often meet in these big uh, group settings at dinners, at a busy art fair, and this is a rare moment to talk with you more in depth about your collecting. So your background is in real estate developing. Um, you've been a, a really successful businessman. And you've also used your resources to uh, not only uh, purchase wonderful artworks, but also to uh, support the LGBTQ community with um, events, exhibitions. And it's been a, a pleasure to see all of the ways that you've been a catalyst in Asia. So thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you, John, for inviting me. I'm also very happy to uh, have a chance to talk to you here. Um, you said um, some wonderful things about me, but I'm really doing my part, you know, as a member of the LGBTQ community. I feel we all have certain duty and I'm just doing what I think I should be uh, doing. Mm. Well, I think you're, you're really affecting a lot of change. So we, we thank you for that. One of the things that I'm always curious about when I uh, meet collectors and get to know their collection is where the passion for art comes from. Um, you have a background in business, your uh, family has a history of business. And so I'm curious where those initial impulses and passions were awakened. Uh, very interesting question. You know, it got me thinking about uh, how I started. Um, it certainly did not start from my uh, upbringing because my parents are the very old-fashioned Chinese. You know, they believe that uh, arts and music and toys would erode your ambition. So, you know, we were not brought up in a, a, a very art-conducive environment. But I do remember my first meaningful encounter with, with art was actually through my uh, w career as a real estate developer. Um, going back to many years before, this is like in the uh, mid 80s when I first started. Uh, my first property project was in Hollywood Row, which as some of you may know, that is uh, an area famous for curios and antiques. Uh, and I had a very small piece of land there. And as most developer will understand that you would want to merge with your neighbors and uh, have a development which is bigger, you know, to take advantage of the economy of scale. So I was there frequently and I would visit my neighbor with the hope to buy them out, you know. <laughs> but at the end, instead of me buying their property, they were more successful in selling their artwork because these are all dealers in Chinese painting, antiques, and so on and so forth. Uh, and yes, my interest in art, which is uh, which was Chinese traditional painting, started uh, as early as the uh, you know 1980s. Wonderful. 
Do you still remember the first piece that you purchased in the collection? Uh, I have one piece by an uh, old Chinese master who had passed away. Uh, and the funny thing is that this piece almost portends what I do now, you know. What I do now, contemporary art in, uh, with an LGBTQ theme, is certainly very different from my first collections in Chinese ink painting. But this painting uh, portrays two young kids uh, hiding behind a wall and enjoying a stolen watermelon. Now, if you um, look into Chinese culture, watermelon uh, means a lot of things, you know. Um, uh, it means like a big family, um, uh, prosperity and others. Um, but what I see in this picture is two young boys uh, enjoying a forbidden fruit. So when I bought it, I had no idea what I would do now. But uh, looking back, that is sort of like um, uh, predicts a future course of my collection. And, 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 uh, and, and my collection in so-called gay art started much, much later. Mm. Yeah, I was curious how that um, theme or philosophy to your collection started that came about a few years after you had started collecting. Ah, okay. Now, I have um, always supported um, gay movements, you know, in whether in Hong Kong or Taiwan, um, several organizations that I uh, have participated uh, were like the Tongchi Tong Hotline, which is a gay hotline in Taiwan, or the uh, um, gay parades and uh, Ace concern and all that. So it is something, as I mentioned earlier, that I feel as a gay person is our duty to step up and do something. But I did not really merge my two passion, you know, uh, in gay rights and in art together until year 2014, you know, and it's um, it just dawned on me that I should combine the two passions together. And that's what I did. Wonderful. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense that you were already being an activist and a contributor to the community. So that, that definitely makes a lot of sense. I was thinking about the, the first artwork that you mentioned, uh, the two uh, children eating the forbidden fruit. Um, you commissioned a performance uh, for uh, uh, Ming Wong in the Spectral Synthesis One. Um, was that at all related to the image of the watermelon? Uh, it was, but unintentionally. You know, Ming oh. Wong had no idea I had that painting. But mm -hmm. as you correctly pointed out, watermelon has so, uh, so many connotations behind it. Uh, I'm also very happy to see that particular performance and the subsequent video the way it turned out. Yeah, that was a, a great performance. Uh, for some of our um, listeners today that might be from the West or other cultures, I'm curious if you could, uh, or it'd be great for you to talk a little bit about the importance of um, highlighting LGBTQ rights uh, in Asia and why this is an important theme or, or maybe uh, why it's become a, a passion of yours. I know each culture 
has a different approach to uh, rights and to the community. So, um, but it might be interesting to hear more about how that plays out in your context. Uh, yes. Uh, well, we sort of I focus uh, our collection and activities within Asia because I believe uh, we have a much more difficult battle to fight. Uh, while in Europe, in America, uh, gate right is a widely recognized concept. In Asia, um, we are way behind. You know, there are certain countries that homosexual acts are punishable by imprisonment or even death. And in fact, some countries like Singapore is still illegal. Uh, and there are different stages, you know, of uh, yeah. accomplishment. Uh, Taiwan, you know, you have same-sex marriage. Thailand, you're talking about civil union. Mm -hmm. uh, China actually is legal since 1997. And in fact, since 2017, there's a sort of legal guardian law to protect uh, same-sex uh, relationship. But the law is one thing, you know. Yeah. Yes, we still have to fight for it. We have to uh, have all these uh, uh, activists um, struggling, continue, continue to do what they do. But at the same time, social acceptance can be a very different scenario. Mm -hmm. And to put it in a very simple way, what we do is to raise the visibility of gay people and also hopefully the respect for the LGBTQ community. Uh, that might come as a given in the Western society, but it's certainly not the case in Asia. I mean, I, I think even in the West or particularly um, uh, America, because we, we have this uh, tradition in um, Christianity that I think it's taken a long time for the culture as a whole to um, embrace the community as well. I mean, even if you think in television, I, I think I remember back in the 90s when they started uh, showing um, you know, physical affection or kissing between uh, same-sex people, that that was still uh, considered very edgy. And, and that was less than 20 years ago. Right. Well, that uh, reminds me of an inspiration I got, you know, uh, for what we do now, which is in art exhibition. Mm. Um, I mean, you and I would agree that uh, art is very powerful. Uh, and I remember a long time ago, I watched this television show. Uh, it's a talk show. And one of the guests was a famous uh, Chinese actor, Leslie Zheng. Okay. And he just went there and openly talked about his relationship with his boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And that was a time when it's still taboo, you know. And, and I thought he was so brave. And I thought what he did uh, in that particular interview was perhaps more powerful than the many, many parades and, uh, and activist uh, works that have been done in the past 10 or 20 years. Mm -hmm. I'm not belittling what the activists do, but sometimes you have these things, you know, like a movie, like a talk show, mm -hmm. somebody that you know that come out uh, and they would do things in such a way that would work wonders. Mm -hmm. uh, and the lesson I got from them from that particular instance is that, you know, we could perhaps do something in a non-confrontational way and, and get more tolerance and acceptance through it. Yeah, I agree. I, I think uh, those small gestures like that of, of someone who has 
credibility or, or respect are extremely important. Um, I mean, I, I felt so honored to uh, be invited to come to Spectrosynthesis One at the uh, Museum of Contemporary Art in Taipei. Uh, it was uh, a great show, but uh, more than that, it, it was wonderful to see um, how many different kinds of people uh, from all over Asia, from different parts of the art world, museum directors and other collectors and everyone really showed up to uh, support you and also support that exhibition. So I thought yes, that was a really very great grateful. experience. Yeah. And um, again, you know, you're, you're making the, this gesture and I, I think it really uh, encouraged a lot of people to be more confident and to, to really uh, talk about these issues, regardless of what uh, community they're coming from. And I, I really enjoy, um, you know, talking to collectors who also have this outward focus that it's not just, you know, for yourself and uh, your own enjoyment. So um, how was that experience for you? Um, that was the first time that you really, you know, presented your collection, I believe, on that scale. What was that like for you? Um, for a young foundation like uh, we are, uh, to stage a large-scale museum show within such a short period of time uh, was something that I did not expect I was able to accomplish. So yes, I'm very proud <laughs> and very honored, of course. Um, and in fact, when I first started, you know, I thought there must be somebody doing it. Uh, and, you know, uh, and I would not be the, this like first museum show that people um, are talking about. Uh, yeah. But apparently there wasn't. I mean, of course there are other shows, there are other collectors, but maybe they did not anchor in a museum in such a scale. Mm -hmm. And I think that is important because uh, uh, looking back, you know, I, I think we're very lucky, you know, we held a show at the Museum of Contemporary Arts in Taipei at a time when there was heated debate about same-sex marriage. Mm. Uh, and one of the curators came up and talked to me and he said, uh, while there were other shows, they did not have such an impact as the one you did for many reasons. And one of the reasons was that uh, it's more difficult perhaps for a curator to put together a show like this. Whereas from a foundation, we have a certain number of works that would serve as the backbone. Uh, it wasn't like a presentation of all that Sun Pride collects. Uh, it was also a show with many things that we borrow from other museums, collectors, or from artists, and we have commissioned work. So it worked out very well. And my curator friend said, you know, if it was a curator or an artist or a museum to do this, it would be a lot more difficult. Uh, you have to borrow everything. But having something to start with, then it's easier to build upon. And of course, the job is also much easier after the first time uh, because we have built up a certain reputation. Mm -hmm. uh, some artists who were a little skeptical at the beginning uh, felt that they would be comfortable. Um, in fact, a lot of them, uh, no, I wouldn't say a lot, but some of them uh, do not want to participate because they were afraid 
to be labeled as a gay artist. There's no reason they should be labeled as a gay artist. They really should be appreciated for their artwork, right? We both understand that. But yeah. this show serves a certain purpose. And having the first one in Taipei makes our role much easier. And, uh, and, and that's why we have the second one in Bangkok. And we're going to do the next one in Hong Kong. Fantastic. Yeah, I remember being a little apprehensive uh, when I first heard about the show because I, I wasn't that familiar with your collection. But one of the things that I thought was uh, very powerful about it is that um, you really showed a diversity of topics and issues that um, gay artists struggle with. Um, it talked about uh, gender norms, about family, and it wasn't just a uh, show of, uh, you know, lots of nudes or, um, you know, compromising photographs. So, yeah, I thought, um, you know, particularly, I mean, you know your audience very well. And I think it, it also kind of gave a sense of that there's a lot of kind of depth and breadth to this community. And I think even in the West, a lot of the shows that I see that that have LGBTQ themes are um, sometimes, you know, very, very much focused on just the sexuality part and not about, you know, the other aspects of our identity. Well, I cannot take any credit. You know, the credit goes to our curator, Sean Hu from yes, Taipei. Yes, he did a great job. And yes, he did. Uh, uh, we did go to London. Uh, I remember the five of us, you know, from Sun Pride Foundation, mm -hmm. including Sean Hu, the curator, went to see Queer British Art in Tate. Mm -hmm. And it was such an inspiring show. And I remember Claire Barlow, the curator, uh, talked to us and she said, I hope people come to see our show would take away different things, you know. Uh, but uh, what I remember most was that he hoped that she hoped that the uh, say the general audience would come in and realize that there are a lot of great artwork and great masters who just so happen to be in the LGBTQ community. Yeah, and she also hoped that the uh, gay people coming in would find a sense of belonging. So that was perhaps the guideline that we all got, and uh, I'm sure that uh, uh, Sean, uh, Sean Hu, uh, took to heart and presented a show that was quite different from the general expectation. Uh, in fact, a lot of people came up to me and said, Patrick, I'm quite pleasantly surprised uh, because they expected a lot of uh, sexuality, homoerotica, but as it turned out, they have a lot of, uh, there were a lot of concepts uh, that, in fact, not just gay people, but also straight people can relate to, you know, like stigmatization, loneliness, aging, death, parenthood, so on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah, no, it made it a, a very, very rich experience as a viewer. Um, and it's also wonderful to see a show that that draws from so many different Asian cultures as well. I, I thought that was a very powerful thing for me to come and sort of experience the the different um, kind of nuances of, of each culture. Um, now, one thing I love about Sun Pride is that um, you are a team, and um, you're obviously calling this into life and and um, have the vision for it. Um, but I, I'm curious how how it works in your uh, visiting of studios and galleries, you you travel a lot together. You you go to a lot of events and studios. 
Um, what are some of the criterias uh, for, I guess, looking at work for buying work that you guys have developed and honed? Um, well, this decision is a team effort. I, I hope my colleagues agree with me. Uh, we do have uh, healthy discussions on mm -hmm. what to collect. Yeah. The very basic criteria would be, um, if I may use a simplified word, good art. Yes. Um, even though I cannot what I cannot define what is good art, but uh, the perception is that you know if we want to raise respect for the gay community through art, we have to present good art. Uh, of yeah. course, it's very subjective, uh, but you know we would also look into big artists, big name artists. You know, like uh, uh, in our collection and in our exhibition, we have like people who have participated in Venice Biennale or Documenta or mm -hmm. many. Biennales, you know, that sort of gave us uh, assurance that these are wonderful artists to have in our show. Uh, when you talk about um, the factors in our decision-making, we are also slowly learning and adjusting. Mm -hmm. um, for example, we received some criticism on our first show that uh, while they liked what they saw, uh, we did not have enough female representation. Okay. Uh, and my my first reaction was that, um, unfortunately, that is the fact in the art world. You just have more male artists than female artists. Mm -hmm. uh, but my friend gave me some very constructive advice. And he said, Patrick, while what you say is true, you need, need to make a conscious effort for better representation. Mm -hmm. So subsequently, we tried. Uh, to present more female artists and also transgender artists. And in some cases, even though the artists, uh, we could not strike a proper balance. It doesn't quite work out that way, but at least we try. You know, In some cases, even though we have, say we have uh, uh, four pictures from the same artist and we yes. might choose the subject that has a female representation, even though the artist is male. So we are making yeah. a conscious effort to do that. Uh, that is something, uh, one of the things that we have learned uh, as we go along. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that uh, dilemma or struggle. I mean, sometimes when I'm putting group shows together as a curator, I run into that, that same quandary because I, I really want to focus on the work or, or bring certain works together. But then I feel like it's also my responsibility to yeah, like you said, you know, balance out the subjects, the the gender of the artists. Right. So but invariably, yeah, you know, a collection, the collection would reflect, you know, our taste, you know, which sure. probably would lean towards more of a male representation. Mm -hmm. But as I said, it shouldn't really matter because ultimately, um, what we have is just a uh, as um it uh, 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 forms a backbone, you know. Yeah. I often see our role, if you compare the show to a movie, I see our role as maybe the merchandiser, John. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the curator is the director. So what we do is we source these artists and possible artworks and also show what we have. And then it's up to the curator or director to select what uh, he or she wants to show. And what we have may trigger him or her to find out more other artists to participate. So, yes, it's only a start. 
Yeah, and I think, I mean, one of the, the wonderful things about your approach with these uh, two and now soon to be three exhibitions is that you have a beautiful catalog that people can access. Um, you have lots of press images. And I think particularly for um, artists who are now coming into the art world or are just emerging, um, maybe even as college students, I think it gives them a lot of hope that their voices will be not only heard, but also championed. And so I think, you know, going forward five, 10 years, I think the, these exhibitions are, are, you know, pretty profound. Thank you very much, John. But uh, I think one of the things we did right was that uh, with each show we did, we uh, invited a local curator. I think that's very important. Yes. Uh, the second show was in Bangkok at the Art Bangkok Art and Culture Center, mm -hmm. and the curator was uh, the in-house team led by Kun Chabichai. Now uh, he's a very knowledgeable uh, curator. Uh, he's a museum director, and he knows so many Thai artists that I have never heard of. You know, they mm -hmm. are very good artists, and many of them are young artists, and. We also have a responsibility to bring their work to the front and showcase the young talents. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the comments I received for our second show in Bangkok was that they like this one because it's a happy show. And, and I also agree with them, you know, when I re-examine the work, because we have a, uh, a lot of young Thai artists and perhaps the society is even more free, uh, more accepting. They were able to um, draw and paint or do sculpture brilliantly and spectacularly. And it, mm. yes, it is. it was a happy show. Great, yeah, unfortunately I was not able to attend it, but the, the images looked really fantastic and it was great to read all the positive press surrounding it. So uh, thanks for this conversation, Patrick. It's, it's great to uh, see what you're doing and you're ever expanding. And we look forward to your upcoming show in Hong Kong. Is there any kind of last comments you would like to share with us or, or talk about that show a little bit? Uh, yes, you know, we have, uh, uh, we have planned for this a long time. It will happen. Uh, at the fourth quarter in year 2022. Uh, okay. The reason is that in year 2022, gay games will come to Asia for the first time and it would happen in Hong Kong for nine days. And we want to do an art show uh, parallel to this event. Of course, our show will be much longer, probably three or four months, but it will cover the period when we have what, like a, now tens of thousands of people visiting Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. And we want to use art as we should look at sports. You know, these could work hand in hand to change people's perception of the community. So this is our show in 2022. And when we plan for this in Bangkok, we were thinking that, oh, it's, only, it's three years away. Isn't it too long? But, you know, John, look yeah. at last year. <laughs> so I think yeah. it was just right. You know, we are planning and then it would take, yes, it would take two years to prepare for a show because there will be a lot of commission work and, you know, lots of work to do. So, yes, I hope you will come uh, for our next exhibition. 
Yes, absolutely. I, I definitely plan on it. And I, I do hope that we can all get back to traveling. And it was great to see you in New York last year as well, uh, I guess, before this all started unfolding. <laughs> yes. So thanks again. And uh, thank you to your wonderful team as well. And uh, all the best for your future endeavors, Patrick. Well, thank you, John. All the best to you too. Thanks for checking out Six Degrees of Silvis. I'm the editor of the show, Evan Halter. If you'd like to learn more about John or the guests we have on the podcast, please visit johnsilvis.com. Thanks for listening.